So uh, let me ask you a question. When you hear the word or you think of the word victory, and you think of that word, victory, what comes to mind for you? I want you to just think about that for a second. What comes to mind for you when you think of the word victory? I have to say what comes to mind for me is probably not the same thing maybe that comes to mind for you because there's a particular story that I can't help but think of every time I think of this word. And um, as, as I'm sure most of you know, or if, or if you don't, I was a youth pastor for 11 years and, uh, you know, at the church. And um, we play a thing called gladiator games on Wednesday nights uh, with the students, and they're still doing it. Um, and essentially, if you don't know what it is, real short description. We divide the students up onto two teams, red team, blue team. We play some silly games, and we take some, some games, and we sort of turn them on their head and do some crazy things uh, there. And they play games for points. And at the end of the season, uh, which is usually about 10 weeks, 8 to 10 weeks, uh, the winning team gets a T-shirt uh, that says, like, Gladiator Games Champions or something like that. So back in 2014, I will never, never forget this. And there's a few stories that have come from the years of Gladiator Games that are just legendary, and this is one. Uh, and I know for a fact that there are some people in the room that were here for this and potentially even students for this. Um, so we were playing a game called Bumper Donuts. Um, and essentially what, what we do, yeah, um, essentially what that is, and we don't play this anymore because there were a couple injuries, um, and you'll see why in a minute. So we'll, we take a donut, and you put it on a string, and I put um, two of our adult volunteers on either side, probably about, nah, not quite the width of the stage, uh, holding the end of the string. And so there's a donut hanging on the string, and you take two students from each team, uh, two boys or two girls, because we you know, kind of divided it up that way, um, and they put... Um, uh, like inner tubes around their arms so they couldn't use their arms. And we hang the, uh, or yeah, like floaties, like those kinds of things. And so the, the donuts then hanging in the air above them on the string and the leaders are pulling on the string and kind of bouncing it up and down. And they have to jump and get the donut with just their mouth. And the winner has to have the donut in their mouth is what I said. So they're like, you know what I mean? You, you can't use your arms and you're jumping up and down and, and everybody's trying to get this donut for the points. And so essentially what happens here is uh, something that had never happened before uh, in this game. And we'd only played it a few times um, and the donut came off the string and hit the ground. And I happened to find a video of what happened here um, that I thought I would show you right now. So take a look at this and I'll just kind of, you can see them sort of jumping around. The donut hits the floor right there and they're looking at me like, so what do we do? Yeah. Now you got to listen to what he says. <laughs> he just he just throws that out that tastes like victory, like we didn't plan it or anything. I don't know if he had that line in his mind um, or whatever going up there, and and that was <laughs> that was a f really funny moment, legendary moment. Uh, in, in the history of Gladiator Games. And funny enough, his team, he was on the red team, they, act, they ended up winning the season that year. I don't know if he was a prophet or what, but um, they, uh, so what, what I ended up doing on their championship t-shirt, it said, tastes like victory on the championship t-shirt. And so um, that, I can't help but think of that when I hear the word victory. I can't help but think of that moment. What about you? What do you think about when you think about victory? Maybe we think of sports um, maybe not so much Cleveland or Akron sports, but we think about other sports um, where there's victory. Um, 
maybe you think about board games. You think about things like that. Um, maybe you're thinking about things that are a little more serious, like we think about things like war, some very real things that are happening in our world right now. Maybe you think about it on a much more personal level, though. Maybe when you think about the word victory, maybe you think things like, boy, in my life, victory is an impossibility. Victory is something that is just not in my vocabulary because in my life right now, I feel like I've already lost. And let me just say that Jesus wants to step into your story and into your journey and give you victory, but in a way that's defined very differently than how we define it. Too often we look at, at victory and we look at it in terms of for me to win, someone has to lose. And from a human standpoint, that is very true. But from Jesus' standpoint, it's actually not true at all. It's almost the complete opposite because he defines it in a better way and he defines it in an eternal way. And in many ways, the way to victory that we're looking at is the journey of Jesus. And so as we look at the journey of Jesus, we follow his suffering, his death, his resurrection over the next few weeks as we're stepping into the Easter season now. Um, and the journey, it seems very tragic. It seems awful, and it is in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, the disciples thought that the journey of Jesus was gonna end in victory politically, was gonna end in victory uh, from a government standpoint, was gonna end in, in victory from a like, you know, kingdom set up standpoint from Israel, just like King David won. But Jesus, Jesus teaches something very different. Jesus teaches about the beauty and the broken. And only God could use something so awful as the suffering and death of, of Jesus to bring about something so amazing. And so the way to victory is not through people, is not through possessions, it's not through prosperity. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're gonna look at today. And in many ways, that is what we would call a paradox. Because the way Jesus describes it is very much a paradox. Now, if you don't know what a paradox is, um, apparently last week some people didn't know what a shtick was. That actually means like a gimmick or something along those lines. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry. I used a word that people didn't know. So I will define this today for y'all, that a paradox is actually a self-contradictory situation. It's a self-contradictory situation. Um, and so one example of that would be something like a liar's paradox. Maybe you've heard of this before. Take a look at this video. It'll probably give you a headache, but this is what a liar's paradox is. This is because the sentence contradicts itself. Think of it this way. Admitting that the statement is false would then make the statement true. If the statement is true, then that means the statement is no longer false. It is impossible to tell whether the statement is actually true or not. That's why it's called the liar's paradox. A popular version of the liar's paradox is the Pinocchio paradox. Pinocchio is a fictional character whose nose grows every time he tells a lie. However, if Pinocchio says, my nose grows now, will his nose grow or not? The statement is only true if his nose grows, but it will only grow if he is lying. If it grows, then the sentence is no longer a lie, but a truth. Confusing? 
That's the liar's paradox for you. Yeah, there you go. So sorry about the headache that you now have, thinking that through. Um, but you know what? When Jesus teaches about uh, what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God, it feels and can feel, humanly speaking, very much like that. Let me read to you something from the, the Puritan prayer. It's, this, that may sound funny for me to quote that, but, but listen to this. It talks about the paradox of the Christian life. It says this. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 8. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8 today. You can follow along in the notes on the Bible app if you have that. Uh, you can search for Connect Church in Akron, Ohio. And as we look at Mark chapter 8 and we look at what Jesus is, is talking about here, part of what made Jesus' teaching so compelling, uh, first of all, he was a storyteller, um, which is great, but his purpose is so compelling um, and so impactful, but from a human perspective, it feels very much like a paradox, when, when you read what he's talking about here, because God's solution to our brokenness doesn't seem to make sense until you really frame it properly with the cross of Jesus Christ. And so let's look, uh, beginning in verse 31. It says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Jesus rebukes him pretty good here, yet very appropriately. Um, and it's interesting because four verses before this, if you want to read earlier, <clears throat> we see Peter actually being a messenger of God and speaking uh, as a messenger of God. And, and, and Jesus even says, you know, the, the Lord has, has given you this as he declares Jesus to be the Messiah in that moment. Four verses later, Jesus looks at him and, and calls him Satan. And you don't have to be demon-possessed to, you know, for Satan to use you. And we're not always aware, maybe, that, that that's happening. You can be sure that Peter was not aware that he was speaking for Satan in that moment, just like he wasn't aware before then, uh, a few verses before, that he was speaking on God's behalf. You know, it's much easier to be a tool of God or the devil than we realize. It's much easier than, than we want to believe. And that's why the way to victory is not through us. It's through him. See, Peter was instantly reacting here. He was instantly reacting to, to, to what was happening. To, he wasn't really thinking as much as he was just spewing out his wants and his wishes. And the suffering of Jesus was a must, and he didn't realize that. Peter wasn't really listening to what Jesus was saying. He was just hearing what he wanted to hear. But what he didn't realize was that the suffering and death of Jesus needed to happen, had to happen because of two facts. And those two facts are our sin 
and God's love. Our sin and God's love. Those are two facts. And those are two things that required Jesus to go through what he did. Because his death, it was the ultimate example of man's sin against God. It truly was. But it was also the supreme expression of God's love for us. Because God allowed it to happen for us. And it was always a part of the plan. Our redemption was always a part of the plan from the very beginning was for God to provide for our redemption. It was always part of it. Because Jesus sees the big picture, always. Jesus always sees the big picture. You and I can't always see the big picture. In fact, rarely do we see the big picture. And if Jesus showed us the big picture, we probably wouldn't know what to do with it. But isn't it great to know that he always sees the big picture? No matter what's going on in our life, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what's happened that just doesn't make sense, Jesus always sees the big picture. We're really good at maybe seeing about three feet in front of us and not realizing that God is seeing everything else. He's seeing the entire road, what was behind, what's in front, and what you're possibly going to turn into or not turn into. And God wasn't taken back by Peter here. He wasn't like, oh, didn't see that coming. That never happens to God. He knew the mistakes would happen. He knew the mistakes would happen. And God makes room for our humanity, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that God makes room for our humanity. Peter would, would go on from here to be used by God in an amazing way because God was far from being finished with him yet. And it's the same for you, and it's the same for me. You, you may have made mistakes. You maybe have, have been used in a way that you shouldn't have been, but that doesn't mean that he's, he's done with you. Now, don't get me wrong. God will, he, he loves you, and, and your mistakes, there are consequences for our mistakes. Absolutely, there are consequences for sin, and he will call it what it is, but that also doesn't mean that he's done with you. That doesn't mean that he disqualifies you because of that. Peter was used to build the church as we know it, a guy who was called Satan by Jesus. Like, imagine having that on your resume. You know, that, that thing to look back to. So how many people has Jesus actually called Satan? Uh, one, me, right? I, like, sheesh. But he has that. He has that. And God used him in amazing ways. Whatever it is, listen, you're not that bad. And your mistakes do not make you too far gone. Hear that again. Your mistakes do not make you too far gone for God to use you. Let's keep reading. Verse 34, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So we see the, the paradox idea um, in its full glory here in these verses, right? Who, we, we need to deny ourself. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. It's that whole upside-down nature of the kingdom of God Author Tim Keller, author, pastor, he said this. I want you to listen to this. So because Jesus was the king who became a servant, 
we see a reversal of values in his kingdom administration. In Jesus' kingdom, the poor, sorrowful, and persecuted are above the rich recognized and satisfied. The first shall be last. Why would this be? This reversal is a way of imitating the pattern of Christ's salvation. Though Jesus was rich, he became poor. Though he was a king, he served. Though he was the greatest, he made himself the servant of all. He triumphed over sin, not by taking up power, but by serving sacrificially. He won through losing everything. This is a complete reversal of the world's way of thinking, which values power, recognition, wealth, and status. The gospel then creates a new kind of servant community with people who live out an entirely alternate way of being human. So how does Jesus define this upside-down way for us to live? He breaks it down into this simple phrase that has so much meaning to it, especially in that day. He says, take up your cross daily. Take up your cross daily. And there is a lot in this. There is a lot in this for us to take away because the cross, it was not about religious ceremonies. It was not about what we think of maybe when we think of the cross today. It wasn't about traditions. It wasn't about spiritual feelings. It was a way to execute people. It was about death. It was about pain. It was about shame. And it was more than anything a way to kill people. And 20 centuries later, since Jesus' crucifixion, we've sanitized and we've, um, we've really kind of ritualized the cross. Let me ask you this. How, how would we receive it if maybe Jesus said this? Not this statement, but, but said it this way to you. Walk down death row daily and follow me. Because that's what he's saying here. You want to put it in our context? Jesus is saying, walk down death row daily and follow me. The cross was a symbol of shame and a symbol of death. The disciples wanted a king like David who would destroy the government and the enemies and set up a, a kingdom on earth. And like Satan, Peter tempts Jesus here to abandon the mission for short-term glory. We know that, but Peter wasn't listening because Jesus made it clear that the way to victory was through his suffering and through his death. And you know what? As followers, it is the same for us. It's the same for us, guys. At that time, taking up your cross wasn't a journey. It was a one-way trip. It was a one-way trip. But Jesus was clear that what he was commanding for us was so much more than that, that it was daily. Yeah, physically, this was a one-way trip for Jesus. But what he's really asking us is, is a journey, and it's a daily part of who we should be. See, when Jesus speaks about the cross that we bear for him, he says that, that it must be a part of our daily experience. It's gotta be a part of our daily experience. If you wanna be my disciple, he says, take up my cross daily. Take up your cross daily. So Jesus isn't speaking about something that, that we only do at the beginning of our Christian life. This isn't a, a one-time thing that we do. Being saved is, is just the beginning. It's, it's not the end. Being saved is, it means that from that point on, every day we are to take up our cross, we are to die to ourselves, and we're to lay ourselves on the altar of daily obedience to Jesus. That is the way 
to victory. It's, it's calling us to a daily crucifixion of our own personal cross. And that means every single day that this is a battle that we're gonna have to face by obeying him, by loving him, by loving others, by serving others, by caring for people around us. It's by putting our needs, our wants, our wishes, our temptations, our things that we want in our life, putting those aside for what he wants in our life. And that is not easy to do. And that's why Jesus is saying we gotta do it daily because sometimes we're gonna get it right and sometimes we're gonna get it wrong. Some days we're gonna, we're gonna have better days than others. But then he takes it one step further in the next verse. He takes it one step further when he says this. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in the father's glory with the holy angels. This takes it up to, to another level. He says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. So take up your cross and follow me. We're called to live for Jesus Christ. And all he asks of you, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. All he asks of you is everything. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat it at all either here or anywhere in the Bible. We've sugarcoated it. We've sugarcoated it. What Jesus is asking is nothing short of everything. Nothing short of everything. And as followers, our lives, yeah, they're gonna be marked by loss. They're gonna be marked by, by pain and by suffering. But in perspective of the cross and in perspective of eternity, it gives us the strength to follow him. It gives us the strength to take up our cross and follow him, the desire to obey. At the time Jesus made this statement, everybody knew what he meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. Everybody, there was probably a gasp in the room because of what everybody knew that that really meant when it comes to the pain and suffering involved in that. And Jesus' paradox of the cross really turned it into the complete opposite of what it, what it was then in terms of what it is now. Because it's more than a symbol. It's the way to victory. The cross is more than a symbol. It's the way to victory. Most people think of following Jesus as, as maybe conforming to the establishment or just having to follow the rules. I've had too many conversations with people over the years that, that just have uh, issues with Christianity because they feel like it's just a bunch of list of rules. It's just this big list of rules and do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that. And if that's what you think Christianity is, let me tell you, you're getting it all wrong because that's not, that's not what it is at all. That's the way that you've perceived it or maybe the way that somebody has laid it out to you. It's not so much that. It's, it's God's love for you. And actually, Jesus is calling us to, to actually rebel, not to, not to follow or, or fall into the things of this world. He's calling us to rebel against the things of this world and, and to fall into to a better life with Jesus and to follow what he's calling us to do, which is a complete rebellion to, to this world to rebel to our sinful nature, to rebel to the things that this world says are okay and are fine, to, to actually rebel against those things and, and, and to push into what Jesus wants for us because our life is gonna be better that way, to rebel against the traditions of, of humanity and to rebel against the, the order of this world, to rebel against sin and to rebel against Satan. 
that's really what it, that, that's the way to victory. And we rebel against those things by following Jesus, by taking up our cross, dying to ourselves, dying to those things, and following him with every fiber of our being. Jesus himself had the opportunity to gain the world through the way in which we would see gain the world. Granted, he's God. And, and the way in which we struggle, the way in which you struggle, when, when Satan tempted him in Luke chapter 4 in the temptation of, of Christ. And you read that and the way that he was tempted and all of that. And he found life and victory in obedience instead. In obedience to the Heavenly Father. And he knew then what we know now. And that's the connection point for the day. That the way to victory is through the cross. It's the paradox that doesn't make any sense outside of Christianity. That the way to victory is through pain and suffering. That the way to victory is to deny ourselves. That the way to victory is, is, to, is to put to death the, the, the sinful man so that I can be raised to new life in Christ. Cross, it was a symbol of, of shame and death, as we've said. And just like these white flags that we've got around the room, maybe you thought of the idea of surrender because that's what white flags are used for in, in battle and in war. I surrender. And in many ways, it's exactly what we're saying with these flags. We need to wave the white flag of surrender to ourself and to take up our cross daily and to follow him because the way to victory is through surrender to Jesus Christ. And the cross today is arguably the most recognizable icon, symbol, logo, whatever you want to call it, on the planet. When people see the cross, they know what it means. But do they? Do they really know what it means? We've got these little wooden crosses here. We've got one for everybody that you can get on your way out. And here's my challenge to you with these. I hope that you'll take one of these little wooden crosses and that you'll keep it in your pocket, your keychain or whatever, however that works for you, as a reminder of the victory that we can have through the cross of Jesus Christ. On a Tuesday at 2.30, you're not necessarily thinking about what we're thinking about right this minute. We're in the real world and life is hitting us in the face. And we remember maybe in that moment, you have this little cross and it reminds you, I need to put myself away. I need to take up my cross, crucify the sinful person and follow Jesus right now. I need to put my wants, wishes, needs aside. What does Jesus want in my life? And follow him and let this cross for you throughout this Easter season and maybe beyond be a reminder that the way to victory is not through you, it's not through people, it's not through possessions, it's not through prosperity. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's a symbol of love. It's a symbol of forgiveness. It's a symbol of acceptance. 
and a world that needs to know that they're accepted and that they're loved by God. And what was a symbol of death for us, for everyone is now a symbol of life. Can you bow your heads? The way to victory is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And there is no other way. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you thought that your way to victory was through all these other things. I'm telling you, they're not. They're all gonna come up short. We need to die to those things and be raised to new life in Christ. If you wanna know more about that, if you wanna have a relationship with Jesus where you know for sure you're gonna spend eternity with him, I'd love to talk to you today. I'd love to pray with you. As we go into this Easter season, I, I hope that all of us will really take this idea of taking up our cross daily, making this a daily decision to follow Jesus with all that we are every single day, every morning when we get up. And I hope that when you see this cross, this little wooden cross, that it reminds you that you need to surrender. Jesus, I love you. I thank you so much for what you did for us. I thank you for the sacrifice that you made for each and every one of us. I thank you that you love us so much that you gave everything. And Lord, as we try to follow you with all that we are, I pray that we would. I pray that we would take this challenge seriously to daily take up our cross and follow you, to, to put to death the, the sin and the, the things of this world that are holding us back from truly growing in our faith and truly finding our purpose and, and being all that you've called us to be. Lord, it is a complete upside down paradox idea that to, to really live for you, we need to die to everything else. Lord, help us to do that. If there's someone here watching online that doesn't know you, just maybe hearing this idea and it's making sense for the first time, I pray that they would take that step to know for sure that they're going to be with you in heaven one day. We love you. We thank you. Pray that your spirit would just continue to move. In your name we pray. Amen. Traffic.